And now, if you're able, I invite you to stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord read together. I'm going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. So Luke 1, 57 through 80. This is the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. And his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Y'all may be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the way you love us. Uh, Father, we thank you this morning. On a cold, rainy day, we can consider uh, the light that you sent into this world. Uh, Lord, that we could be, uh, to, we could spend time considering, Lord, the comfort and peace, uh, the joy uh, that you bring uh, as we consider and contemplate, Lord, um, the birth of John the Baptist, all that meant uh, for your people, all it means for us. In your name pray. Amen. Uh, well, this morning, as we continue uh, to prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 57 through 80 together, which I just read for us. And last week, uh, we began studying uh, the book of Luke and kind of this, this Christmas narrative we find in the early chapters of Luke uh, by looking at verses 39 through 56 of the same chapter. And in, in that chapter, we read about Mary and her visit to her relative Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth is the wife of a priest named Zechariah. Uh, earlier in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, we, we get told the story of the prophecy about the birth of John, uh, Zechariah serving in the temple. Uh, God sends an angel uh, named Gabriel uh, to tell him that God has heard their prayers and that they will have a son uh, who they are to name John, and they're going to have this son even though they're advanced in age. Well, uh, Zechariah, like many uh, in the Bible who are promised that they will have a child in their old age, he asks, well, how can I know this is going to happen? Which was apparently not the question for him to ask uh, uh, because the sign that he is given 
uh, the sign he receives that he can know this is really going to happen is that he's unable to speak uh, from that very moment until all that Gabriel has said will come true. And so last week, you know, we read the story of Mary, um, and we found Elizabeth expecting a child, and we heard Mary's song of rejoicing at the wonder that she would be used by the Lord um, to bring about the fulfillment of his promises to Israel. And this morning, in verses 57 through 80 of this chapter, uh, we read the story of the birth of the son promised to Zechariah and Elizabeth. In, in just a few verses in, um, in this first chapter of Luke, uh, we move very quickly. Uh, we move from the announcement by Gabriel to Zechariah in the temple that, uh, all the way to the arrival of the promised son John. And as we read Luke's account of the first Christmas, we see that God is on the move. Uh, God is on the move. The plans that God has made in eternity past to redeem for himself a people, they're coming to fruition. Uh, in the first chapter of Luke, God is at work in Israel in a way uh, that, he had not been, or that had not been seen in 400 years. Um, in Isaiah 9, in Isaiah 9, Isaiah describes Israel as people um, who have walked in deep darkness, um, as people who have been living in great darkness. And, but Isaiah tells us that this will not always be the case. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And as we come to the first chapter of Luke, uh, the people of Israel have been waiting in the darkness. Uh, they've been waiting in this darkness for God to act for 400 years. It's it's been 400 years since God has spoken to his people. You know, they have his word. Uh, they can read his word. Uh, they've heard God speak through his word, but he hasn't spoken to them in this new way in 400 years. And after 400 years, they have to be asking themselves, well, when will this darkness come to an end? You know, over, over those past 400 years of silence, they have, they have suffered as a people. Uh, they spent most of that time, uh, most of those years being ruled by one foreign kingdom after another. Uh, the people of Israel want to know when will the darkness lift? Uh, when will the sun rise again on the people of God? And we know that they're asking these questions because we know what it's like. Uh, we know what it's like to wait in the darkness for God's rescue. Uh, we know what it's like to wait for the sunrise uh, while we languish in the darkness of grief or depression. Uh, in the darkness of a failure in the face of temptation or the burden of financial debt or of the seemingly unsolvable problems in our own lives or uh, in the face of the seemingly unsolvable problems in the world, or of the breaking of relationships, the declining of our health, um, the seeming silence of God in response to our prayers, right? Uh, we, we know what it's like to wait on the rescue of the Lord when all we can see is the darkness. But the good news uh, that we are celebrating this morning is that our God does not leave us in that darkness. Uh, the light of deliverance, the light of hope, uh, will enter into this darkness in the person of Jesus Christ. And so and one of the common themes that we find in literature, uh, we find it in movies, we find it in music, is this idea of just the hope of a new day, uh, the hope of a new day. Um, you know, one of the songs you might hear on the radio right now, right, is uh, uh, Real Haggard's If We Make It Through December, right? Just this idea of, you know, if we can just get through December, things are going to get better. Um, and the Lord of the Rings, there's this great scene where uh, the army of Rohan, uh, they spent the entire night defending the fortress from a vast multitude of enemies, uh, and it's the dark hours of the morning. Uh, there's very few soldiers left uh, to defend this um, fortress. You know, there's a handful of soldiers, there's a handful of their leadership left. And so in an effort to make kind of one last brave stand, uh, they leave the little bit of safety left to them in their fortress, and they ride out uh, to meet this multitude of enemies. And just when things are darkest, the dawn breaks over the mountains, 
And with the coming of the sun, uh, these weary soldiers, they look up um, and they see the reinforcements that they need uh, to win the battle to defend their people. Um, and so they had been waiting for this morning, waiting for dawn to come, and even at the darkest moments. And this idea that no matter how dark the night looks, uh, that no matter uh, what kind of troubles surround us, that if we can just make it to tomorrow, things will be better. Um, it's, it's deeply woven uh, into the stories that we, that we tell. It's woven into the stories that we believe. Uh, we tell ourselves, right, that the, the new day, the new morning can bring hope, no matter how dark our circumstances that night. Well, at the beginning of Luke's gospel, it's been 400 years. It's been 400 years since uh, the people of God have heard a new word from God. And in this passage, we see that Zechariah understands uh, the birth of his son John marks the end of that darkness. Uh, the arrival of hope for Israel, it marks the beginning of the Messianic age. The arrival of the Messiah is near. Uh, he knows that God is on the move. He knows that the Messiah is on his way and that the dawn of a new day is swiftly approaching. And so that's what we find in this passage. We find joy and rejoicing in this passage. Um, in this passage, we hear Zechariah praising God uh, for the birth of his son. Um, in this passage, we hear Zechariah praising God for the coming birth of the Messiah. And praising God just kind of for everything that those two, two events mean for the people of Israel. And, and since, since those of us here this morning also know what it means uh, to wait in great darkness for the Lord's rescue, uh, we need to let these words remind us of all that the arrival of Jesus all those Christmases ago uh, means for us today. And so this morning, we're going to walk through the passage together, um, and then we're going to take just a few minutes uh, to talk about what the arrival of Jesus means for us this morning. And in verses 57 and 58, uh, Luke tells us that the time has come and that the child who has promised to Zechariah and Elizabeth is born. So I'm going to read those verses again. These are verses 57 and 58. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And so in these verses, in these words, we hear that the prophecy of Gabriel has been fulfilled. Uh, the time has come, the son has been born, and this child has, been, has brought rejoicing uh, into the home and into the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, just as Gabriel said that he would. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, who was called barren, is now surrounded by friends um, and family who are rejoicing with her because of the mercy that the Lord has shown to her. Uh, and in these first verses, we get, really, we get a glimpse of the joy that just surrounding a family celebrating the birth of a son that they longed for, that they prayed for. And then the time comes for this child to be circumcised and to be named. Um, I'm going to read verses 59 through 63. They say, And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. I love this interaction. Uh, many of us with children know what it's like to discuss what your kids' names will be with your family. Uh, and families today still prefer that you give a family name, right? Um, and so here we have this kind of interaction as they're discussing, well, what's his name going to be? Um, in Genesis 17, uh, they, uh, here we, we're told, they're told to bring their child forward for circumcision on the eighth day. And so here we have Zechariah and Elizabeth following these commands that they find in Genesis 17. Uh, they bring their eight-day-year-old eight son to be circumcised. And this was a special day. This was the day uh, when the sign of circumcision, uh, circumcision was given 
Uh, that meant this child was the recipient of all the blessings of the covenant. He's the recipient of all the blessings of belonging to Israel. And the friends and the relatives who have gathered uh, with them to celebrate this day, well, they all want to name him for this father. Uh, and in this culture of the valued lineage and valued family, it was expected that, if a, chi- that a child would receive a family name. Um, it's especially true of this family, uh, of this family, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, were both descendants of Levi, um, descendants of the priesthood. And so the crowd wants to name him for his father. And this means that they either wanted to give him the name Zechariah, or it means that they wanted to give him you know, a family name that was a kind of a common name in his family. Uh, but Elizabeth says, no, his name's going to be John. And they try to talk her out of it. And when that doesn't work, they appeal to Zechariah, who... Um, He can hear the conversation, but he couldn't participate. And so Zechariah (laughs) writes out that his name will be John. And we're told that the people were all confused by this. Uh, Luke says that they wondered at it. And and Kent Hughes uh, does a really good job of explaining why this issue of a name would have been so confusing to the family. He says, it's difficult for us to appreciate what a jolt this was uh, was to the family. Because in their culture, children were always named after someone in the family. The double vehemence of the old couple was truly shocking. John, which means the Lord has given grace, was a most fitting name for the child, uh, for the child's calling as a forerunner of the Savior. But there's more to this because by giving the boy a non-family name, God was indicating that his mission and power would come from outside the natural order. Who he was, who he was could not be explained by his being the child of his parents. The name John was meant to stir their spiritual imaginations. Um, in spite of the attempts of their family and their friends, um, and, and in obedience, right, to the word of the Lord that they had received from his messenger Gabriel, uh, they named their son John. And in verse 64, we're told that Zechariah's speech was miraculously restored. And I'm going to read that verse again, just verse 64. It says, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And so again, we see Gabriel's words coming true in this story. Uh, when doubting Zechariah obeys the word of the Lord and naming his son John, his tongue is loosened, um, and he uses his first words to bless his God. And in verses 65 through 66, uh, we hear how the people who were gathered that day responded to all these incredible things. I'm going to read 65 through 66 again. It says, And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And so we're told uh, that the, as the people left, um, that fear and awe came over their neighbors. Um, as the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and their son John was, it was really the talk of the town, uh, the, kind of the talk of the whole region. And that conversation was centered on just what all these extraordinary things meant from uh, Zechariah serving in the temple and coming out unable to speak uh, to their having a child in their advanced age uh, to the child being born, they're naming him John, which is not a family name, and suddenly Zechariah could speak again. All of this has just amazed them, and they're going, what in the world is this child going to be? What is he going to do? They can tell that there's something special going on. Um, and William Hendrickson does a really good job of kind of capturing what's going on in the hearts of their neighbors. He says, the remarkable happenings filled the minds of the people with the conviction that God was present in their midst and was carrying out his plan on earth. They, as it were, trembled with holy awe, because of his presence and his deeds. You know, it, it was clear to everyone that this child was marked out as something special by the Lord. Um, every part of this story declared that this child uh, was special, from Zechariah's vision in the temple uh, to his sudden inability to speak to the miracle of the child being born to a woman who had been called barren by her friends and neighbors, uh, to a child being named John, to Zechariah's uh, voice being restored. 
they wondered not who, but what this child would be, because it was clear that God had a special role prepared for him. And so in verses 57 through 66, uh, we read the story of the birth and of the naming of John the Baptist, and it and all happens according to the word of the Lord delivered by Gabriel. And then in verses 67 through 80, uh, we get to hear what Zechariah said when his loosened tongue erupted in praising God, uh, praising his God for kind of the, the faithfulness that God was showing to his long-suffering, long-waiting people. And we're going to through, walk through that together. I'm going to read verses 67 through 75. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. I hear Zechariah's is filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Elizabeth was when Mary arrived at their house, right? It's the same kind of description. And he breaks out in praise and in prophecy as he celebrates God's faithfulness to his people. And he begins by celebrating God's faithfulness to his people um, by recognizing and acknowledging God has kept his promises to David. Uh, in 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 through 13, it says, And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, and you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And in verse, uh, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, uh, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Uh, what we see in the Old Testament is that God promised David that one of his descendants would sit on, the throne, uh, sit on his throne forever. Uh, God promised Israel through the prophet Isaiah that a descendant of David was coming. Uh, who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, a descendant of David was coming who would rule over Israel and who would lead Israel in justice with righteousness forever. Uh, that's the promise they've been waiting on. Well, Zechariah, he rightly sees these promises are being fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah. He recognizes that the arrival of his son is the beginning of the Messianic age, that the arrival of the Messiah must be right around the corner. And so he rightly sees these promises are being fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah. And God has, God has seen his people waiting in the darkness. Um, God has seen his people and he's visited them. And he says, in raising up a horn of salvation from the house of David. And uh, Kent Hughes explains that the Davidic horn would be raised up um, in a mighty display of power in Jesus Christ. And so in Jesus, God has raised up a Messiah uh, from the line of David to, to rescue and to redeem his people and Zechariah praises his God for his faithfulness to Israel and keeping his promises to David. And then Zechariah goes on to praise God for his faithfulness uh, to his people and in keeping his promises to Abraham. Uh, God makes several important promises to Abraham in the book of Genesis, uh, but the promise that Zechariah likely has in mind here is the one uh, that God made to Abraham in Genesis 22, uh, verses 15 through 18, which I'll read briefly for us. 
And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Can't say that three times fast. Um, And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So here we have uh, God's promise to Abraham uh, when God did not withhold his son Isaac, when God rescued Isaac and interceded for him. Uh, God continues to make, make these promises to Abraham. And, and one of the incredible things about this promise is that this is, one, this is the only time that God swears on himself in the Bible. Uh, God is going to keep his promise to bless Abraham and to bless his descendants. And Zechariah is telling us that ultimately God keeps this promise made to Abraham by sending Jesus, by sending the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, Israel will know deliverance from her enemies. And and while much of Israel hoped that this promise uh, meant deliverance from their physical enemies right then, uh, we know that Jesus came to deliver us from our true enemies, Um, enemies worse than just um, political enemies, uh, military enemies. Uh, He came to deliver us from sin and death and hell, and that when he returns, he will defeat God's enemies forever. And so in verses 65 through 75, Zechariah, uh, he celebrates God for his faithfulness to Israel. And then in verses 76 through 79, he celebrates God's use of John, uh, the use of his son, in, keeping, in the keeping of God's promises. I'm going to read uh, those verses again for us. He says this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I hear Zechariah gives us two specific examples of how God is keeping his promises to Israel. The first way that God's keeping his promises to Israel is by sending Zechariah's son, John. Uh, John is going to be called the prophet of the Most High. John is going to be the first prophet that Israel has known in 400 years. The silence is over. Uh, the wait is over. You know, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, God said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And, and Zechariah uh, recognizes that he is holding that prophet in his hands as he praises his God for this answer to prayer. Uh, the prophet has come who will call Israel to repentance, who will point the way to the knowledge of salvation, to the forgiveness of sins. And so God kept his promise by sending his prophet to prepare a way for the Lord. And the second way that God kept his promises to Israel is by sending God's own son, the Messiah. Uh, Zechariah continues. I'm going to read these verses again. He says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. You know, Zechariah understands that with the arrival of his son, John, the wait is almost over. Uh, John's arrival means that the arrival of the Messiah is almost here. You know, that verse, uh, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has, uh, has light shone. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming to give light to those who have been in deep darkness. And I, I love that verse 79 says that he will guide their feet into the way of peace. Uh, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to guide their feet into the way of peace. And the question is, peace, peace with whom, right? Uh, who are they not at peace with? And Romans 5 verse 1 answers that question for us. Uh, Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so Jesus Christ, the Messiah, comes to this world and guides our feet into the way of peace with the creator we rebelled against. Um, it's, it's through Jesus. It's through his perfect life. It's through his suffering. It's through his death on the cross that we can know peace with God. And as Luke finishes this portion of the story, um, he gives us a summary of John's childhood. Verse 80 says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Uh, much like Samuel and other prophets um, before him in the Bible, uh, John grows up, he becomes strong in spirit, and then we're told he chooses to live in the wilderness, uh, much like many of the prophets of old. Uh, and so Zechariah, Zechariah went at least nine months without speaking, and now when he regains his speech, he uses his voice uh, to sing the praises of his God for all that God is doing. Uh, not just right there, he's, he's certainly celebrating the birth of his son, his long-awaited son, but he also is celebrating all that God is doing in this grand, grand scope, right? The, John has come, the Messiah is coming soon. Um, and he does this because he recognizes what the arrival of the prophet, uh, what the rapidly approaching arrival of the Messiah means for him, and he recognizes what it means for Israel. Uh, the long-awaited dawn is breaking. And, and before we go this morning, I want us to take uh, just a minute. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, just for a few minutes, why the arrival of Jesus still matters for us today. Uh, why does it still matter for us today? And in, and in Zechariah's words in our passage today, uh, we see three reasons. Uh, three reasons that the arrival of Jesus the Messiah matters for us this Christmas. Uh, the first reason that the arrival of Jesus matters for us this Christmas is that the arrival of Jesus assures us that our God cares about us even in our seasons of darkness. So the first reason that the arrival of Jesus matters for us this Christmas is that the arrival of Jesus assures us that our God cares about us even in our seasons of darkness. In verse 68 of this chapter, Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And you'll notice that this language of visiting and of redeeming his people is the language of the story of the Exodus. Um, in, in, in Exodus, God, God's people were enslaved for 400 years. Uh, we're told that God heard their groaning, that God... Um, sent a rescuer and Moses who led God's people out of the slavery. Um, in our passage this morning, it had once again been 400 years uh, since God's people had heard from him, uh, but God had not forgotten them and God had not forgotten his promises that he had made to them. And in the fullness of time, he sent his son to rescue and to redeem them. Uh, the, the arrival of Jesus assures us that our God cares about us. It, it assures us that he hears our prayers. It assures us that he knows our struggles it assures us that he really does keep our going out and our coming in, like it tells us in Psalm 121. You know, if, if you feel like you are in the dark, groaning for rescue, know that your God hears you, know that your God cares about you. You know, as, as we struggle in the dark seasons of life, keep looking to Jesus Christ, who hears your prayers, who knows your name, uh, who has given his life to redeem yours. And so the first reason that the arrival of Jesus matters to us uh, this Christmas is that it assures us that our God cares about us, even in our seasons of darkness. Um, he cared then, he cares now. Um, the second reason that the arrival of Jesus matters for us this Christmas is that the arrival of Jesus guarantees the victory over the darkness. Uh, the arrival of Jesus guarantees the victory over the darkness. In verses 69 through 71... Uh, Zechariah says this about our Savior. He says, um, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, 
that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. You know, in, in this beautiful Old Testament imagery, uh, Zechariah tells us that God has raised up a horn of salvation. And here the horn that he's talking about is most likely the horn of an animal, you know, like the horn of an ox. And it's a symbol of God's strength. It's a symbol of God's power. And we know this because the result of God's raising up a horn of salvation from the house of David is that we will be saved from our enemies. In the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, we read in stunning imagery of a victorious Jesus who has overthrown all of God's enemies and who has thrown down all of the world's kings. And so we know in the end that Jesus, the Jesus who arrived in the world as an infant uh, will conquer all of God's enemies, both the physical enemies and the spiritual enemies of God. And because the victory of Jesus Christ, our, our great Savior, over sin and death and hell is assured, uh, we can know that the statement in Hebrews 7.25 is true. Hebrews 7.25 says, um, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Uh, a victorious Jesus, who is victorious over all of God's enemies, is able to save. Um, that's what the Bible tells us. That's why His coming as the Messiah matters. Um, he's comes, he's victorious, it guarantees the victory, and because he's victorious, he's able to save his people. And so that's the second reason. Uh, the second reason the arrival of Jesus matters for us this Christmas is because Jesus guarantees the victory over the darkness. Uh, the third reason that the arrival of Jesus matters for us this Christmas is that the arrival of Jesus guarantees our deliverance from this darkness. So the arrival of Jesus guarantees our deliverance from this darkness. In verses 72 through 75, it says um, that he has come to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And I love these verses because there, there are two movements here uh, when he's talking about our deliverance. There's kind of two separate movements. Jesus' arrival means uh, that we will be delivered from those uh, who are persecuting God's people, and it means that we will be delivered from our spiritual enemies, from temptation and sin and betrayal and injustice and grief and suffering and death and hell. It's both those things. We're being delivered from physical enemies and our spiritual enemies. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus delivers us from our physical enemies and our, and our spiritual enemies. And so the arrival of the Messiah means uh, that we're going to be delivered. Uh, these verses tell us uh, that we are delivered from our enemies, um, that we are delivered to a new life of serving God without fear in the holiness and in righteousness that are only come to us through Jesus Christ. And we see this truth confirmed in Romans 8, verses 15 through 16. Uh, those verses say, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of, a, spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so if we are in Jesus Christ, we are no longer the enemies of God, and because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are now able to approach God as a loving Father. Um, or as Hebrews uh, 4.16 tells us, we can now approach the throne of grace with confidence. Uh, because of Jesus Christ, uh, we can be sure that we will be delivered from our enemies, and we can be sure that we will be delivered to a new life um, and a new relationship with our God. Um, in John 1 verse 5, uh, we're told that Jesus is the light of the world, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Uh, John 8 verse 12 says, you know, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, when Jesus arrived at Christmas all those years ago, it, it meant that rescue had come. 
um, that the Redeemer had come, that the Savior had come, not just for Israel, but for all those who will repent of their sins and place their faith in Him. And so, <laughs> why does the arrival of Jesus still matter to us this morning? Uh, why do we still celebrate Christmas, right? Uh, we celebrate Christmas because the arrival of Jesus means the light has broken into the darkness. It means that God saw our sad estate, um, that he cared about us, that he loved us, that, he, that because he loved us, he sent his son uh, to deliver us from our bondage to death and to hell. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, the light of the world, the, the sunrise of righteousness, uh, reaches into our darkness and brings us into his light. Um, so that we can join Zechariah in praising our victorious Savior who arrived at Christmas all those years ago because the God who kept his promises by sending a Savior uh, to bring light into the darkness is still faithfully keeping his promises as Jesus Christ, the light of the world, shines his light into the darkness, and the darkness will never overcome it. So let me pray for us.